0: Jackson, Wyoming, from Austin, Texas, about a month and a half ago. So I'm the newest clergy person here on the St. John's Episcopal Church staff, and I've always dreamt of having the opportunity to preach in this beautiful chapel. But every time I've been here, I've also thought this has to be one of the most difficult and intimidating places for any preacher to preach, because I mean, really the sermon is just right here (laughs) beyond the window, so I don't have any illusions about the fact that your attention might be drawn to gaze upon those beautiful peaks, so if I see any eyes start to lift, I'm not going to hold it against you. But every time I've been here, I've always thought of a passage in an address given by one of my favorite writers, Ralph Waldo Emerson. And if you think back to high school English class or college English class, you might remember that Emerson was one of the founders of transcendentalism which is sort of America's oldest and most original form of philosophy or spirituality. Emerson was a Unitarian minister, and he incorporated aspects of Eastern religion, like Buddhism and Hinduism, into his Christian faith to create this new way of understanding God and how God relates to us as human beings. Some of the central tenets of Transcendentalism is that the beauty and the reality of God is shot through all of the created world. That There's the great book of Scripture, but also the book of nature that shows forth God's grandeur and beauty. And moreover, there's a spark of the divine, of the reality that created the goodness and truth and beauty we see in the natural world that also inhabits each one of us. Each one of us has a spark of the divine within us. Emerson trained at Harvard Divinity School, and in in 1838, he went to Harvard to give an address to some seminarians that were about to graduate. And the address so scandalized those in attendance that he wasn't invited back to Harvard for about 30 years after that. And I want to read to you just a brief passage of this address that I always think of in this chapel. Emerson says, I once heard a preacher who sorely tempted me to say I would go to church no more. He's telling a story now. He says a snowstorm was falling around us. The snowstorm was real, the preacher merely spectral and the eye felt the sad contrast in looking at him And then out the window behind him into the beautiful meteor of the snow he had lived in vain he had lived in vain you can see why i always think of this passage the preacher's up here doing his best but knows that there's something holy on a different order of beauty happening behind him and feels hopeless in the face of that reality I hope you don't think that there's this sad contrast, necessarily, between me and the grandeur of the Tetons behind me, or that I've lived in vain, but you could see how this passage may have upset some of those seminary professors and offended some of those seminarians, these people who felt called to proclaim the gospel, but maybe felt insulted by Emerson. In fact, however, it wasn't that passage that really scandalized these Harvard divinity folks what so scandalized emerson is that he said that the mystery of the incarnation of the divine becoming flesh and taking on human body wasn't something to be restricted only to the reality of jesus but is an invitation and actually a proclamation and a promise that god makes to each one of us in another passage from the divinity school address Emerson says, Jesus Christ belonged to the true race of prophets. He saw with open eyes the mystery of the soul. Drawn by its severe harmony, ravished by its beauty, he lived in it and had his being there. He says, Jesus Christ alone in history was true to what is within you and me. In this jubilee of divine emotion, Jesus said, Would you see God? See me. Or rather, seest thee when thou seest as I now see. So that's a lot of text. And he kind of uses this Elizabethan English to communicate this idea that was so scandalous. So I want to strip that language away. What Emerson was saying is that Jesus Christ realized about himself a crucial truth that can extend to every one of us. Jesus Christ saw that God's presence and spirit lived within him and also that God's spirit and presence lives within each one of us. And it's our job to realize that fact and to fan that reality into flame, so that we can burn more brightly as conduits of God's grace and love and beauty. And in fact, if we look at Luke's Gospel for today, Luke's Jesus says something very similar. So in this passage, Jesus has been moving through the world with his disciples, his students. And these disciples have seen Jesus accomplishing all sorts of mighty acts. Comforting the discouraged, healing the sick, spending time with the most marginalized in his society. And they also know that prayer is part of Jesus' daily practice. If you look at Jesus in the gospel, there's this constant rhythm of he's in the towns and cities, accomplishing his ministry in this life of sort of active service, and then he's withdrawing to these deserted places to pray. And he's in one of those such places today, and his disciples ask him, Jesus, how should we pray? Teach us to pray. And of course, he then teaches them to our Father. And there's so much to unpack in that great, pithy little prayer, the Our Father, that we say every Sunday. But I want to hone in on just two words that begin the prayer. Those two words, Our Father. As much as some of us would like to think that Jesus spoke in beautiful Elizabethan English, He did not. So Our Father, who art in heaven, is never something Jesus said, but He spoke Aramaic. And the word used for Father in this prayer is Abba. Abba, not to be confused with the wonderful Swedish rock band Abba, (laughs) although it's spelled the same way, A-B-B-A. And Father is actually a little bit of a weak translation of that Aramaic word. It really connotes something of much more um, depth of feeling and relational intimacy. Crying out Abba is like crying out Dad or Daddy. Imagine a child in the need of the comfort of a parent. And if you have any negative sort of associations or connotations with a fatherly figure, if you think that praying our Father feels a little patriarchal, just replace that with Mom or Mommy. And when Jesus, when Jesus teaches his disciples this prayer, he's saying that all of us should feel empowered to stand with him as siblings and address God with the confidence and the intimacy that this God of unconditional love hears our prayers and relates to us like a beloved child. And this would have been so scandalous in Jesus' day. The temple cult... The temple system that Jesus in so many ways is critiquing in his active ministry tried to keep God at a distance from the people. Only by paying certain sacrifices were individuals able to gain access to God or through practicing different good works. And Jesus is saying, no, God's love and presence and reality is open to each and every one of you here and now and is nearer than you ever could imagine. So today, no matter what you're doing, if you're taking a little walk in the park, if you're driving on to your next destination, if you're grabbing lunch in town, I invite you to perhaps just remind yourselves of that fact, that God is close to you and loves you and is loving you into a deeper reality of love and goodness than you ever could imagine. And that's such a... It's, it's, such a, it's such a revolutionary marriage uh, message and one that I don't feel like I heard that much in churches growing up. I was also always taught that God was at some sort of a distance and I had to do more, earn more, be more to in some way bridge that gap. That here I was morassed in sin and helpless on my own and needed God to somehow through some sort of act of sacrifice or punishment to bridge that gap for me. But by praying Our Father, we remind ourselves that God is always here closer than we can imagine. So maybe today you take some time to just pray Our Father. Maybe you do that over the week, or if you go for a walk today or a hike, you just let that be your mantra. You say, Abba. Abba, or even hum an Abba song, if that helps. (laughs) Or just say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And remind yourself that the God that created these beautiful mountains and breathed them into being, breathed and created you into being too, and is drawing you deeper into this reality of love and truth and beauty so that we can be agents of God's grace and truth and wonder throughout the world. Amen. What you